I'll start out by saying this, that the message was actually inspired by, by, by my boys, um, something that they've been doing lately to me quite a bit. Uh, I always tend to get hear the, the Lord with those things. Um, my boys now are 11 and 6 years old, and that was amazing that actually my 6-year-old was up there today because he told me he's not doing it. So... <laughs> He also told me this week that I wasn't very funny and and, that I needed to try better, is what he told me. So he's very blunt. But um, my kids, you know, we've always, from the very beginning with Calvin, now Calvin's going to be 12 in a couple weeks, and we've always learned, um, it's been interesting with Calvin um, and then now with Link, that there's been, there's this desire for them to ask me, to tell them stories of times that I messed up. Like, there's some weird psychology with it. Like, they don't want to hear about the victories. They just want to know, Dad, when did you do something wrong, right? And it's interesting, the evolution of it, now that Lincoln is six, right? And he's very blunt, too. So at first, you know, these stories were like, Dad, did you suck your thumb, right? And Dad, did you ever... um, you know, did you ever wet the bed? These types of things now have moved into, Dad, when's the last time you told a lie, right? And then, Dad, did you ever kiss a girl before Mama, right? By the way, I have. Sorry, babe, I'm sorry. And it was, no, I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Calm down. Don't think you didn't think it, right? But I, I calling this message today, the shame game. The shame game. Because, because when the boys ask me these things, unfortunately, um, it brings up memories. And with those memories, unfortunately, it brings me from where I am in 2020 as a sold-out father of two, lover of one woman, vessel to be used for the Lord to a time where there were mistakes in my life. And so I thought, man, it would be really cool today to talk about this in a deep way and really take kind of a a temperature of where you are. You know, Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, I believe, uh, in the New Living Translation, he, he He does a great job uh, uh, that I think is kind of one of those staple verses. Len, you've preached on this, I think, a couple times. We've we've obviously mentioned this because the truth of actually out of context, if we just, what we're doing right now is we're taking this this verse, these two verses out of context. If you really read the the whole book of Philippians, it's going to a bunch of his friends, Paul's friends. He stayed... Um, and planted this church, and, and they were really super um, sound spiritually. And so when he was talking to them in, this, in context of this, this, these two scriptures right here, he was actually talking about his victories. But as I was studying this this week and kind of contemplating things, I thought to myself that it might be used for something else, and I'll, I'll show you something in a minute. It says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. The whole portion before this, uh, this section here, he was talking about perfection. He was talking about having arrived in his spirituality. He said, I have not achieved perfection, but I focus. I focus, meaning this, everything's going on but one focus. I focus on what? One thing. 
Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Press on indicates this, that there's something pressing against. I press on, what? To reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Like I said, in context, he's actually talking about all his, his past achievements. And he's saying, I'm forgetting all those past achievements and standing here and saying, I have to be present in this moment right now and press on towards the mark of Christ Jesus has set for me. But I started to contemplate this and I started to think about it similar um, with how Calvin and Lincoln have brought me back somewhat in some of my past mistakes. And I want to show you something out of Acts chapter 7 verse 57 and go all the way into Acts chapter 8 verse 3. It says this, at this they, and if you saw that they, you could just put in the word Jewish leaders. At this, the Jewish leaders, this is um, so that everyone knows where we are. This is the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr in Christian history, right? He's the first martyr in Christian history. This is after the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. This is after the church started to start. And there was some, some unrest in Jerusalem at the time. And here we go with Stephen preaching this gigantic message. And the Jewish leaders, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. For those that aren't familiar with that, Saul was Paul. Saul was Paul. Saul was one of them standing here. While they, while they, the church leaders were stoning them, him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul, Paul, approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply from him. But Saul, Paul, began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. One of my favorite movies of all time came out a few years ago. It was called Paul the Apostle of Christ. Now, this was kind of extra biblical, but what they did in this movie is multiple times with Paul, they showed him having visions or having memories of the people that he had killed. They showed visions during this film of the people that he had persecuted, that he had dragged to prison. And so what I want you to know and what I want you to see is that I believe, just like um, when Lincoln or Calvin asked me, when's the last time I lied? I believe that unfortunately, because of how we're wired as human beings, sin has the potential many times to leave a mark on us. Why am I saying that? Because what I believe, and if you go back to that Philippians chapter 3 verse, if you will, when he's actually talking about forgetting what is past and pressing forward to what lies ahead, ahead, what I believe is not only is he talking about his successes, but it's a double-edged sword. I believe that for his entire life, there was this thing inside him, there was this section of his life that he wished he could just leave behind completely. Meaning like, yes, he had been saved. Yes, he had been delivered. Yes, he now dedicated his entire life to building the church and to building the kingdom of God. But that doesn't take the place of actually what he had done at one point, where many had died at his hands. 
And so what I want us to get to today and recognize is as Paul is making this encouragement, and if you see that word um, forgetting, it's impossible. How many of you just remember things? Every girl should have raised their hand, by the way, man. Like, I can tell you right now. I can say, there's some people in this room, and you know who I'm talking to. I said something to you 20 years ago, and you're calling me out on it still, right? Right? What I, what, I, what I want you to see, though, is a different definition for the word forget. We, we've got these two, right? Is this, to fail to remember. But the second definition is to what? Put out of one's mind. To cease to think of or consider. What Paul is trying to do and he's telling his friends is he's saying, hey, I want to forget. I want to cease to think about. I want to cease to consider what my old life was. I want to basically render my old way, my old mistakes. I want to render them powerless. I want to no longer be impacted by them so that my choices of today will not be impacted by my mistakes of yesterday. Now, here's the thing. I don't think there's one person that's watching online, no matter where you are. If you're watching this service, you're most likely a believer. And there's no one in this building right now who doesn't believe the truth that Jesus' blood washed your sins away, your past sins, your present sins, and your future. I actually believe that all of you believe that. But there is definitely a difference and a possibility that you can believe something and still be in bondage to that thing like you can believe the truth that Jesus washed your past present and future sins away but you can still as a human being be bound to that old mistake are you hearing me today Psalm chapter 32 verse 3 and 4 has this amazing diction of of David talking about his sin he said when I refused to confess my sin my body wasted away and I groaned all day long day and night your hand of discipline was was heavy on me my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat what he's saying here is is his old sin his mistake literally was so so present on his mind that it was evaporating the very strength right Maybe I'm the only person that when I'm at odds with someone or I make a mistake in my marriage, it's like I can't barely even, I can't function, right? Until we're right again, until there's been reconciliation. But I want you to know that that that, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus died for your past sins. And so reconciliation is there for you all the time. Say all the time. And so what this movie showed with Paul right, is that Paul, even though he was in the middle of doing the greatest work that this of any, I believe, any New Testament human has ever done, and dedication unto the Lord, he never forgot the faces of those that he had hurt, that he had destroyed. Even though there was this gigantic gap between who he was currently and he, who he was back then, he never forgot Stephen's face standing there going, yeah, I was authorizing that stoning. That's part of humanity, that we have the ability to have these dramatic moments and, and we become marked by them forever. 
So that's why you see Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 say something like this. I have been crucified with Christ. What is he trying to do? He's trying to express like, listen, truly, I have actually moved forward from that. My old man crucified with Christ. I no longer live anymore. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And of course, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? If anyone, if I, Paul, am in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He's talking about this over and over and over again because he understands the weapon of guilt that comes upon you as a believer from the enemy. See, what Paul wanted to do is he wanted to, to, to actually get us to possess the power that we actually have as Christians. He, he wanted us from taking our mental, mental energy and, and, and watch this, managing the regrets of our life, the mistakes of our life, to actually moving forward and to live saved, delivered, and free. In this room and online, there are men and women in this room right now who are God-fearing people, who are God-loving, who have accepted his forgiveness, but you right now are in this room and you still lay captive, you still lay bound by a failed marriage. Like you're saved, delivered, set free. You understand forgiveness, but you're still bound by um, a night where an argument turned physical. You're still bound by an abortion. You're bound by an acted upon grudge. You're bound by not taking the opportunity that God gave you and missing it completely. You're bound by a massive slip-up with your eyes online and in your phone. You're bound by a weekend where you just binged. You're bound by a bad business decision. You're bound what, by, by missing the opportunity to witness to a loved one who passed away and now you know is no longer, that is not in heaven. Like there's people in this room, this very room, that are bound still to that old thing. And these are memories that the enemy uses, guys, at the most opportune time for us. And what he does is, 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 is these instances of mistakes, of, of, of something that just crushed you, that instance right there, there's supposed to be something called godly sorrow. How many of you know that's important? Repentance, ha- is, is not, repentance is not this, God, sorry, peace. No, no, there, there's, this, there's this depth of, 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 of actually engaging the soul in removing this and saying, Lord, if it not for your grace, this is where I'd be, but I stand here now saved and delivered and righteous because of what you've done. There's this exchange of emotions in repentance, Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says this, right? It says something really cool here. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Not just away from sin to do it again, but literally away from the memory of sin. 
leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, or I'll say lacks depth, lacks emotion, lacks connection, that right there results in spiritual death. So what the enemy does, even to the most strong believer in this room, is that there's this, there's this godly sorrow that's supposed to happen in our lives. It's called conviction, right? The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And what happens is the enemy marries shame to it. The Holy Spirit brings conviction so that we might go into repentance. The enemy brings shame. Conviction, thank God for conviction. (laughs) Right? Thank God for conviction because I think it is one of the most telling evidences of someone that has the Holy Spirit living inside them. Thank God for for conviction, right? Conviction, I believe, is, is what we see where it says, your kindness leads me into repentance. But I want to show you just this really interesting um, uh, depiction that Paul gives about a group of people in Rome, right? Where there is no living spirit. And, and, and see if this doesn't kind of open up your eyes to the blessing of conviction. Romans chapter 1. It says, Furthermore, just as they, this group of people, did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break the promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. What is this? Why why did I get off on this? I got off on this because right here, what he's talking is about somebody who doesn't have an alive spirit, doesn't have any conviction. Go back one, Daniel, for me really quick. What it says is God gave them over to their depraved mind, meaning this, that God said, do what you do but not for you and me who have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior and are living, right? We have something in us that in the middle of something where we make a choice, where we've gotten offline, there's a check and that is the evidence that you are blood-bought. Everybody following me? See, conviction, guys, um, conviction which brings you back, conviction is always, this is important, specific. It deals, it's compartmentalized. I believe that conviction deals with you and deals with the sin as if, watch, you haven't sinned before. Hear me here. Conviction deals with that mistake in the moment, not 10 years ago. So this is important for us because we don't live that way as humans. If I make the same mistake three times in a row with Kristen and say sorry every single time, on the fourth one, she's going to hit me upside the head. I got evidence and video of it, by the way, right? She is bad girl, right? All right. No, but, but you get what I'm saying. We as humans, we go on the third time, well, you didn't really mean that sorry. 
And we judge that way. That is not how God works. That is not how conviction works. Conviction works in a compartmentalized fashion to deal with that heart motive right then and there. Okay? But what shame does, and again, this is called shaming, right, is really dirty. I hope this makes sense to you. Shame is, has everything to do with how you see, you see yourself. Okay? I'm going to call it a personal optimum. A personal optimum. What it is, is the time where you were at your best, where you saw your potential, right? That I believe every single one of us in here um, have some vision of what we know we're capable of, and we've had visions of us being very heroic and morally. Where we have been up at camp away from everybody, or we've, we've done, and again, I'm kind of vibing on camp because we've had this, and there's this experience with the Lord where all of a sudden for a period of 24 hours or 36 or a period of a week or a month, you're walking on clouds, and you are just spirit-filled. There's nothing else, right? And there's this amazing um, ideal that you have of yourself. It's a personal optimum. Let me, let me be more specific. Um, let's say that your personal optimum is this that you're servant-hearted and you're an uplifter. But the facts of the case is actually you struggle with selfishness, laziness, and gossip. (laughs) So your your vision of yourself is this servant-hearted, amazing uplifter, but the truth is, is that you're a gossiper. Watch this. You walk around in shame all the time. You walk around feeling less than all the time, right? If if your personal optimum of yourself is that you're a faithful man who would never, ever, ever, ever touch another woman, yet you struggle with lust, there's this gigantic divide that that sin is causing and pushing you down. And you're walking around feeling dirty all the time. The truth of is the matter is, although, yes, that's putting a, a gap between you and your wife, but that sin has been defeated on the cross then, and you can stand righteous a day later. Right. I'm sorry, did I say a day later? A minute later. If repentance happens. But for us, because we have a personal optimum of ourself, of what we really feel like we should be and what we're capable of, and we don't match that, the enemy then goes, see, you ain't good as you thought you were. It happened for me at the basketball court a few weeks ago. I've been playing basketball all my life. I hadn't played in a while. I went and I thought I was going to be Michael Jordan. And I got to tell you, I was... No white chocolate. No, yeah. And Andy was here. Andy's in the back. Wave your hand, Andy. I played with him. And I I played so terrible, right, that when I got in the car, I picked up the phone and said, hey, dude, I'm sorry about how bad I played. Why? Why did I do that? Because in my mind, I remember when I was 20 years old. I'm not 20, man. I'm walking around. Kristen's like, you're not doing that anymore, right? (laughs) Why? Because I can't do, I, this, is the, this is the optimum of my life. It's not, I, I'm, I'm making a joke here, but I'm wanting you to see that shame comes where there's this divide. 
And the enemy is constantly bringing you back to where that divide is rather than where you're supposed to be standing, forgetting what, what, what has passed and pushing forward to what is ahead. Okay? Conviction is, is when you cheat on your taxes, you cheat on them, you know you're wrong. And there's freedom for forgiveness in that. Shame is then when after you're forgiven, you're walking with your head down because you thought you were stronger than that. And this is where we are. Okay? This is the reason why we see Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new. I can tell you this, and, and I'm, maybe I'm just a weird guy. When I wake up the, tomorrow morning, whatever Sunday was, whether high, low, positive, negative, sin-filled, or grace-filled, I wake up and I go, today is a new day. I receive your mercies for me. I'm no longer thinking or bound by that. But here's the problem. Many of us are attached to people that go, uh, 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 you, you remember when you did this, right, eight years ago. Hey, honey, we remember we were at the concert, and that girl was there, and you, you're putting them in a box that they have been set free from and forgiven from. Now, does that mean that they don't make another mistake? That's not what I'm talking about, guys. What I'm talking about, though, is this, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is for repentance, and that is for the moment. And when they are freed from that, they should have the ability to be, be repentant towards you or whatever and walk forward with their head held high. I believe this. Well, isn't there punishment and consequences for sin? You're darn right there is. And there's punishment and consequences for sin within relationships. And boundaries have to be set. Please know I'm talking about that. But what I am not talking about is this, throwing shame on a person that wants to move forward. Everybody hearing me today? The enemy loves shame. He loves it. That's the reason why we have to put on the breastplate of righteousness as our own. It's weird. Maybe you've heard this before. And it's been said in our house, unfortunately. We, we do it to the dogs a lot. We walk in. They destroy something. And I look at this, this puppy and I go, shame on you. <laughs> Think about what I'm saying. I'm trying to get him, a dog by the way, <laughs> to feel bad. Shame Shame the enemy on you. I encourage everyone in this room, never say those words again. Because shame is something that people wear. Paul, I guarantee you, there were times where Paul, and he's preaching. I guarantee you because he's a human being, and he's preaching out there, and he thought of to himself, I just killed that five years ago. I ended someone's life. He had to battle with this, to forget, to no longer have that impact what God has called him to today. 
By the way, some of us in this room, we have shame for things we can't control. Some of you have shame over the way you look. I'm going to get deep for a second. You can't control that. Some of you have shame over your family's choices. You didn't make your brother go to jail. And in the middle of conversation, you don't want to say it because you don't want that feeling. Some of you have shame in this room of where you were raised. We would call it the other side of the tracks. Some of you have shame for the car that you drive. Some of you have shame because you don't have the gift of the spirit like pastor does. Some of you have shame right in this room because the job that you have. Some of you have shame for the language that you speak. And some of you have shame because you were abused sexually as a child. Shame is not of God. Shame is not of God. Frankly, I'm just going to say it. Screw the devil. I hate that guy. And I spend all my life crushing him. We are starting intercessory prayer within the next two weeks in this church, once a week, for a purpose, to war, because there are people in this room and there are people that you know where intercessors need to stand in war against the enemy because he is running rampant in this world, man. There's shame for some of us for standing up for Jesus. You feel shame for that. By the way, standing up for Jesus is not standing up for America. Make sure we understand. Standing up for Jesus. It says in Romans chapter 1, very clearly, what? Romans chapter 1, would you put that up? 116. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. What you got in you, never be ashamed of. Never be ashamed of what you were because you're not there any longer. You've been set free. You can hold your head high for being forgiven. Okay? Don't let shame come on you. By the way, a person living in shame because of their sin and it, right? Have you ever noticed they're kind of angry people? Because they're not matching their personal optimum, so to speak. They walk around with a chip on their shoulder. Shamed people do. They're angry at themselves. They let people walk all over them. And then, you know what? They're also... These people that are shamed, they're angry at other people's happiness. They roll into a party, right, where everybody's having a good time and they stand in a corner like this and they wait for someone to come to them. This is shame. This is the work of the enemy for you not to experience the freedom that Len said about earlier today. What was it? Check your shame at the door. It's not welcome in the Father's house anymore. By the way, the majority of relationships in this church that have tension, and there are some, unfortunately, I can't believe it, is because of shame and pride, betting heads. And we're not doing it. And you always, you can know, you'll always hear from me. <laughs> 
I'll pick up the phone and call you if you put shame on someone here. This is not self-help. This is the Bible that we're talking about. This is the freedom that we have in Christ. And I'm telling you, this is what Paul dealt with every single day of his life. How do we fix this? How do we fix this? Like, we can talk about the problem. How do we fix it? I want to show you a poem that I think is very valuable. Go ahead and put it up. I was regretting the past and fearing the future. Suddenly the Lord was speaking. My name is I am. He paused. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regret, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. Keep reading. When you live in the future with its problems and fear, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it is not hard. I am here. My name is I am. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that you need to live free in the moment. And by the way, we need to allow people who have made deep, dark mistakes to feel this. That's probably the message today. We need to live openly in front of it. Let me just kind of start to close up here. Start to close up. In the, in the cool story of the prodigal son, I want you to see something. Luke chapter 15, right? We, we've read it a million times. We can like almost recite this, right? After, after the boy takes the father's money and rolls out and he goes to Atlantic City or Las Vegas and he just blows everything. Dude goes dark, right? He's going to strip clubs. He is going to roulette and going to baccarat table. He's got a bottle of vodka in his hand, and he's got a bunch of people around him that he doesn't know that he's calling his best friends. And he totally takes the inheritance, the special thing that his father had saved for him for his entire life, and just in a moment, whoop, it's gone. And when it's gone, what happens? His friends are gone. We know the story. And then all of a sudden, as the story goes, Jesus is telling the parable, right? Then comes a famine in the land. The rubber hits the road. Life comes back to normal. And he gets so hungry, he gets so frustrated with what his situation was that he goes works on a nearby farm. He's so hungry inside, he's got to go eat with the pigs. And it says this, right? When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, and this is the whole, this is the whole part of the story. Because this is the emotion part, and this is the part where rubber, again, we meet God. Because we're rolling into this situation going, dude, this is what I've done, and he doesn't even know. And God, the Father's going, dude, I've seen all of that. See, what happens and what destroys shame in your and I's life is one word, transparency. That's what destroys shame. Not what you want to be, not what you did, but what you are. 
He comes to him, he gets down on his knees and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. He, he's repenting here. That's conviction and he's following that. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. But this second portion, this second portion, this is right here, the dirtiest part. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Human nature. Paul's up there preaching, man. He is, he is in, um, he is, he's going and, and all of a sudden he's preaching and something comes into his mind, the enemy that says this, you are not worthy of doing this. You were responsible for the first martyr. You are not worthy of doing this. You have no education. You are not worthy of doing this. You aborted a baby. You are not worthy of doing this. You are a porn addict. You are not worthy of doing this. You screw up on every... That is not God's voice. (laughs) Conviction is this. Turn from your ways. Come with me with a repentant heart and refreshment will come to you. By the way, that's straight from the Bible. It's not, oh, by the way, and then you must, and then you must, and then, by the way, oh, you must do this, and then this, and then, and then you'll be in right standing. That's how human beings do. Like, I've got to, like, man, I, if I mess up a few times, I'm going to feel like, man, I'm going to go rub her feet. I'm going to go get some flowers, right? We're going to eat. This. Like, I can't earn that back. By the way, I don't walk around like, hey, man, don't judge me. I'm free. That's not, that's, this is, you know, let's not go extremes on this. Let's stay with it right here. God called you today, in the moment, to be set free. Okay? What does the father say? The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. We've preached this before. What? Put the ring on him. Anybody remember what the ring meant? It was the indication that he was his father's. I have to think about something here. Where did the ring originally go? Did the son take off with the ring? Or did the father take off his ring and put it to him? Right? Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found, so they began to celebrate. And I believe this, and you may not. I believe that every single solitary time a believer comes to the foot of the cross, hypothetically, in their own mind, in their car, in their private room, or wherever, and bends a knee and says, I fall upon your grace. I believe there's celebration in heaven because I believe that's the design of heaven. What the problem is, is there's this giant gap between our personal optimum and God's optimum for us. Let me show you what I mean. I wrote these down this morning. Here's the personal optimums that we carry, okay? Go ahead and put that up. Ours, that we are to be independent, that we're to be self-disciplined, happy, successful, powerful, and collecting. And this is God's optimal, that we're to be dependent, humble, transparent, blessed. By the way, you see powerful? Two different types of power there. Powerful and dispersing. So in in our minds, we've kind of built this whole thought process of this right here is, is the perfection. And when we don't hit that mark, we find ourselves in shame. Okay? I'm going to just finish up with this really quick. 
couple years back, I had a, a buddy of mine. Um, he got into an argument with his wife, and unfortunately, he hit her. It's the weakest thing you can do, in my opinion. In fact, it, it, it enrages me. No man should ever, ever do that. It's despicable and it should be punished. But after three months' time, and after a change, I mean, I'll, this was one of those moments for this guy that kind of just went, okay, I'm off. This is not just a symptom problem. This is an internal problem. Pastor, can we get into an accountable relationship? Here's all the crap I've got. Transparent. I'm being transparent. And will we be where we work together? And in a period of three months, he went from, I mean, truly, he went from enraged, um, obsessive, frustrated, and outward to humble. I mean, God did a work in him. But that night, he remembers it. And because of the exchange, because of human, human nature, obviously his wife does. And I kind of observed this. And frankly, I'll just say it. It's way above my pay grade. I didn't know what to do. Because I understand what happened for that woman in that moment. The fear that she has. and the, Right? And I understand for him, he's going, don't you understand? I'm a... I'm a new man. There's this amazing gap here. And the, again, I wish I could tell you something different. The only way that those two get navigated is truly by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. And, and proper counseling, right? Like actually seeing something professional. But I want to just for a moment, guys, because I, I don't want it to think that I'm... Uh, not giving that validity. I just want to focus for just a moment on the guy. He's still in prison. And the enemy is still rocking him every day. I believe that there's going to be reconciliation. I do. But I want you to know from me, because of what I see in scripture, he is forgiven that may take time but I tell him every day you are no longer that man so what I'm I'm standing here saying guys is that we have to we have to get to the point I believe and you guys want to come forward we have to get to the point where our optimum of ourself matches that the ideal that God has for us. And we have to look at ourselves as I believe the Holy Spirit does, which is in the moment now. I want you guys to hear this song. It is really, really powerful. And then we're going to pray together to close the service today. Okay?